Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here's your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. Today's show is sponsored by Social Media Marketing World 2015, and I'll share a little bit more about this event later on in today's show. I am super excited about today's show. I'll be joined by Tom Webster, and we're going to explore mobile marketing and what you need to know. But first, we've got an awesome new discovery I'd like to share with you right now. Helping you stay alive in a social jungle, here's this week's survival tip. We've got an awesome new tool that Eric Fisher is going to introduce you to. Eric, tell us about this tool. All right. This tool is called Nuzzle, and that is spelled N-U-Z-Z-E-L, and in fact, .com. Yeah, so tell everybody what it does. This is great because, again, if you're working in social media, you're wanting to stay on top of the new and latest stuff, not just as it's breaking, but also as your friends who you trust as they share it because again when they share something it's it's gone through their filter and that's always more trusted so i mean that that really brings the social aspect to the word social media so this tool what it does again like there are other tools that do this but this one i was really impressed with you plug your twitter in you plug your facebook in but then you've got settings that other apps don't which is you can give it a threshold of certain a certain amount of friends that have to share a certain piece of content before they'll feed it up to you in your news feed on this. Or you can search for things and see what's been popular with your friends over the last 24 hours, last uh, two hours, one hour, or even last week. I did a search for over the last week, and I was surprised to find a number of things that I never saw come through my social news feed on Twitter or Facebook because obviously I was just too busy or something, that a number of people I really trust shared. And that impresses me. Okay, so just so I understand what you're saying, this is um, a content aggregation tool that allows you to connect your Facebook and Twitter account. And what it will do is it will look at content that your friends share uh, the most and it will kind of lift that up to you because you may not end up seeing that through Facebook or it may be that you had six friends share it, but they were all on different days and Facebook kind of treats everything that's more than a few hours old, you know what I mean, as, as kind right. of old. And they may not have all shared the exact same post that was put out by person X or Y, but this kind of figures out what that destination link to that article or whatever is and it kind of puts it together for you, right? And is it an app for like uh, a smartphone or is it a web-based thing or what is it? It's web-based and has an iOS version for iPad and iPhone. Awesome. Do you know if you can tell it? um, One of the things that I struggle with with some of these things is I follow a lot of people on Twitter, like huge numbers of people on Twitter. Do you know if you can tell it which friends in particular you put a little more credence on? Or do you think there's any intelligence behind the scenes that seems to look at the the person who's sharing it, you know, um, or is that not going on? Well, as I skim through it, I, I don't have a definitive answer for that question. It's a great question. But I can say that as I'm skimming through it, there are – I feel like it's giving more weight 
to the people that I pay attention to more. So either they have more social authority in some way or they've seen me interact or favorite or retweet or interact with these accounts because those are the ones that it's giving me the examples of who shared this certain article. And it's kind of cool. I mean, if you go on the site, you can click, for example, on Gary Vaynerchuk's picture, and then it shows you, it shows you, um, like for example, fourteen of his friends shared something, seven of his friends shared another thing, and it looks like you can just kind of scroll through this as if it's an alternative feed, and it does allow you to share or tweet it right from within the app, doesn't it? That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's great. You can, I mean, you can share, tweet, email. read later, email, all the different options. So again, it's a it's a great alternative way to make sure. You didn't miss anything. Very cool. And that is Nuzzle, N-U-Z-Z-E-L.com. Thank you, Eric, for bringing us another great tip. You're welcome. My pleasure. And now for something else. Want to keep ahead of your competitors? Need to master a social platform? Struggling to measure your ROI? Discover how to improve your social media marketing at Social Media Marketing World 2015. Brought to you by Social Media Examiner. You'll rub shoulders with the biggest names and brands in social media. Soak up countless tips and new strategies. And enjoy extensive networking opportunities in San Diego, California. Pick from more than 100 expert-led sessions across seven tracks focused on tactics strategy measurement corporate small biz content and the future of social network aboard a naval aircraft carrier meet industry leaders jay bear guy kawasaki mari smith chris brogan and michael stelzner don't miss the industry's largest conference. Discount tickets are limited visit socialmediaworld15.com to secure your ticket today the buzz and excitement about this conference is completely off the hook. And, you know, a lot of people come to this conference because of the content. But while they're here, they discover something even more amazing, which is the networking opportunities. Now, take the awesome events we have on the aircraft carrier and other parties aside. Something that we do that is very unique that you're not going to see at other conferences is we have dedicated staff and personnel that are called networking ambassadors. Their job is to help you connect with the kind of people that you want to connect with and the reason you go to conferences. You literally go up to them and you say, hey, I am here from a brand and I'm trying to connect with other brands or I'm here from a small business or I'm in the university setting or whatever it is and they will work to help connect you with other people that matches whatever it is that you're looking for. And we have multiple ambassadors that work this conference. Very unique, very service oriented. Be sure to check out all the awesome things we've got planned for you by visiting socialmediaworld15.com where you can find the speakers, the agenda, watch a video, and of course grab an early bird discount and see a lot of pictures from a lot of really happy people. Visit socialmediaworld15.com to learn more. And with that, let's transition over to today's interview with Tom Webster. To help simplify your social safari, here's this week's special guest. I'm very excited to be joined today by Tom Webster. Tom is the Vice President of Strategy at Edison Research. He's authored numerous studies such as The Social Habit and Twitter Users in America. He's also co-authored a brand new book called The Mobile Commerce Revolution, Business Success in a Wireless World. Tom, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I feel like I'm in the jungle. <laughs> well, I'm sure a lot of people listening right now might feel that way about mobile. So uh, we're going to have an interesting dialogue today. So, Tom, I first came across you 
um, with your blog, Brand Savant. Is that what it was? Yeah, Brand Savant. Yeah, so you've you've gone through quite a journey from there to to book author, you know, from blogger to book author. Why don't you tell a little bit of your backstory to everyone, just so we can kind of get to know you? Yeah, sure. So I've uh, it's actually not a, a that radical a journey. I've been a consumer behavior expert and specialist for two decades now. I, I, I work in market research and consumer behavior. I help brands figure out why the humans do what the humans do, mm. uh, and you know, I've been doing that with social, I've been doing that with digital media, and I've been doing that uh, in particular with humans who are on the go. So one of the things about Edison, my company, that uh, people may or may not know, we're the sole providers of all the exit polls for all the major news networks during elections. So in a couple of weeks, if you watch TV uh, on any network during the midterm elections, any exit polling data you see comes from us. And as a result of this incredible network that we have to do this, these are these are people that are out of home in transition and we're capturing their opinions. Uh, we've, we have been actually researching the mobile human for decades. So to me, what mobile really means is not so much about technology, but it's about understanding humans in transition, humans on the go, humans that are out and about and what their uh, wants and needs and desires are. And so that's really the impetus behind the book. Awesome. Now, um, just out of curiosity, um, Let's talk about what what is a mobile commerce revolution. Why don't you start there? Or what's well, the revolution that you see happening right now? It, it's actually, I think it's a sneaky, quiet revolution. You know, every year people ask in uh, the, the digerati in the various trades, is this the year of mobile? Is this the year of mobile? Well, the year of mobile actually already happened. It, it, it sort of snuck up on us. And it happened, and I'll give you a very good example of that. The Starbucks mobile app. You know, anytime that I, I give a talk and I ask, ask people in the audience, how many of you use the Starbucks mobile app, I get an enormous uh, response rate, you know, usually, you know, anywhere from 20 to 60%. And, you know, the fact is that 11% of Starbucks transactions are now done using their mobile app. That's well, for five, those of, yeah, let me ask you, for those of us that yeah. aren't coffee drinkers like myself, like what does the app do? Well, it makes you happier, Michael. I'm sorry you're not a coffee drinker. <laughs> um, well, so here's the thing. It, what's, what's great about the app is there's nothing incredibly special about it. All that it basically does is it, it, it's tied to a, you know, it's tied to your bank account or a PayPal account or something else. And you can shake to pay at a Starbucks location. And all it does is bring up a virtual card with a UPC symbol on it that is physically scanned at the location. So there's nothing high tech about it. There's no uh, Bluetooth technology or near field or chip or anything. There's none of that going on. You're, it's, you're scanning a barcode, right? We've been able to do that for decades. But here's the insight that Starbucks had. And this is why the age of mobile is already upon us. Starbucks developed this insight by watching people in line. And when they saw people in line waiting to order their coffee, what they noticed was that everybody was holding a phone in their hand. Mm. And when they had to go purchase their coffee, they had to put their phone away so they could take out their wallet. And what Starbucks decided was, let's figure out a way to make this easier for the humans. It was a, it was a qualitative insight. So they developed this app. It is, uh, it is future-proof, right? It doesn't, there's no special technology here. You're scanning a barcode. So it's going to be usable for decades, frankly. And it's become so, such a, uh, a default behavior that it's actually changed people's behavior to choose Starbucks when they normally might not. Interesting. So the app itself 
is just an alternative payment device? Or can you actually say this is like my default coffee so you don't have to tell them the coffee order? Or can you get points or whatever? Or what? Yeah, so they're, they're not there yet, but they're going to get there. Uh, it is, a, it is a largely a default payment app. However, they do also, there's a reward system built in. So the number of times that you use it, you get various levels, sort of like World of Warcraft. You can become a level 50 paladin or warlock with, uh, <laughs> with Starbucks. Uh, and you get, and you get, and they'll also send you little treats along the way, like a free app on the iTunes music store or a free song on the iTunes music store. So they give you little treats, little rewards, a cookie, if you will, uh, to keep you involved. But you know, the, the, the big thing is that it becomes, you, you don't need a wallet anymore and that's changing behavior. And that's really, I think, the focus of the book is how much our behavior has changed already as a result of mobile. Gotcha. So this this Starbucks example is a great example about how, um, I guess, transactions are happening. Because when we talk about mobile commerce, if we can just dig in there, what do you mean by that? Is it is it about, you know, instead of using money, you're using your phone? Or is there more there than just, you know, the word commerce almost implies transactions? It does. Uh, the word commerce, and you're shrewd to point this out, absolutely implies transactions, but transactions aren't necessarily monetary. A transaction can be any handoff of information or services between one party or another. And I think the great thing about the companies that are really succeeding with mobile strategy, you know, divorced from mobile technology for a moment, are those companies that are finding a way to remove a barrier, reduce a pain point, uh, eliminate a step or cut the friction on some process that we already want to do. And I think that's the great thing about mobility and mobile commerce right now is it's not the companies that are really finding success aren't the ones that are forcing us to find new behaviors or inventing new things for us to do that we normally wouldn't have done. They're enabling things we already want to do and making them easier. And that's the great thing about mobile. <coughs> Excuse me. So what I hear you saying is that the reason why we have this revolution going on right now is because most people are empowered with this, you know, supercomputer that we hold in our hand and put in our pocket called our smartphone. That's kind of what I hear you saying, right? Yeah, that's absolutely right. So in research that my company Edison has done, we are already showing that about two thirds of Americans 12 plus already own a smartphone. Uh, but that doesn't tell the whole story because many of us are on our third and fourth, and some of us even our fifth smartphone. Hmm. So it's not merely about smartphone penetration. It's about the percentage of us that have come to rely upon them for habitual activities, for unconscious activities. Uh, you know, checking our social media networks multiple times per day out of habit, paying for things with our mobile phones out of habit. Those things are happening because we're used to our smartphones, not just because we own them. It's funny because I was at the gym today and uh, we're recording this a couple of weeks before uh, it goes live. And um, I asked Siri, you know, what time does the Denver Chargers game happen today? Because they're the huh. two top game top, you know, and, and, and Siri told me, of course, my trainers all, hey, just ask Siri, <laughs> you know. And then I said, hey, what's this, you know, who's favored? And Siri told me, you know, and it's like we, we're now habitually programmed, if you will, to just ask our phone verbally to do things for us, isn't it? Aren't we? And, and that is the beginning of something interesting, isn't it? Well, I think that, you know, when I can tell Siri, hey, put 50 units down on the charges, then, I, then we, we've, got some, we've got something there. Uh, but, you know, the, the thing is, that is, it's not so much that we have a, uh, a supercomputer in our pocket, because we do. It's that we're used to that supercomputer. And that's the mobile commerce revolution. It's that we rely on those devices 
you know, here's a here's a, a great stat that uh, again my company Edison developed uh, in a, a major study that we did earlier this year. Most Americans wake up to their cell phone alarm. Hmm. Five years ago, we woke up to clock radios. We woke up to a radio station. Right, that behavior has been largely eradicated for large segments of the population. We wake up to our cell phone. It's on our nightstand. There, it's the first thing we check when we when we wake up. Uh, for people who do that, the majority of them look at Facebook. So we we have these new habitual behaviors that did not even exist for sites that did not even exist and services that didn't exist even five years ago. You know, I, I recently spoke before some uh, CEOs for some New England companies, uh, and, and I was brought in to talk about what's our strategy for 2020, what's our mobile strategy for 2020. And I said, good luck, you know, because that's five years from now. And if you would have brought me in five years ago, uh, you either did not have a smartphone or you had a BlackBerry. That's so if you, are, yeah. if you are basing your mobile strategy on a technology, you're, you're not going to make it. It's not about technology. It's about behavior. Well, that, that's a perfect transition to my next question. You know, how should marketers of any size, whether they're working in a big business or, you know, working in a small business, how should we respond or at least be reframing our thinking when it comes to this mobile explosion? Yeah, that's a super question, uh, Michael. I think what we need to look at as marketers. And look, I'm a data guy. I mean, anybody that follows me on social knows I'm a data guy, but I'm also all about the humans. And I think it's easy to be lulled into thinking that, you know, big data and clickstream data gives us everything. But the way to develop a mobile strategy is to first observe humans, you know, figure out why people are mobile, figure out what they're doing, why they're doing it, and what their needs, wants, and desires are in the context of their actions. And, I, and, and we're going to get there. You know, there was a, the, you know, the first era of the mobile web was to have a, a desktop website and a mobile website, and you had to maintain them both. Right. right. And then we've moved into this kind of responsive era of the web where the website, it's still the same, but it morphs and shapes and fills the container of the screen that you're on, whether that's a tablet or a phone. But I, I think where we are going is a contextually relevant experience where if I am on my desktop and I'm looking up a company, yeah, maybe I want to see the history of the company and I want to see their full catalog. But if I am actually in their store, my needs are very, very different. And mobility is going to enable that. Yeah, and it's intriguing because, you know, if you travel a decent amount and you go to an airline's you know, website, you're going to see a totally different user experience than if you go to the regular website, right? They, they seem to strip out the, the non-essentials and focus on the things that they know people that are on their phone are most likely interested in. Is that kind of what I hear you talking about? That's exactly right. It's, it's about understanding where the humans are, what the humans are doing. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm all about the humans, Michael, what the humans are doing, what the humans need at that given time, because the needs of a consumer are very different from when they are in a bar to when they are in your store to when they are at home in front of the TV researching something. And the ultimate goal, I think, of mobile marketing, and, and it's not just marketing, is this. It's not about the future. It's about the past. There was a time 100 years ago when you would walk into your local uh, butcher store or local grocer, and the grocer knew you by name, the butcher knew you by name, knew your cut of meat, knew how you liked, you know, knew your favorite products, kept a tab for you on with a grease pen on some butcher paper, right? Mm -hmm. they, they knew everything about you individually. 
And we lost that a bit. But what I think the mobile device and mobility enables is the ability to get back that. Because your mobile number is essentially your social security number. You're not really going to change your mobile number at this point. You know, even if you change carriers, you're going to keep it. Nobody's going to use your phone but you. It is the most direct contact to an individual human. And what I hope technology gets us to, and for many companies that's starting to happen, is a, is a true one-to-one relationship, not a segment uh, and not a, you know, not a persona, but a one-to-one relationship with the individual human that actually looks at what, what their individual preferences and likes are and responds to that. I don't know if you track this or not, but I've been hearing um, that I, Facebook and I think Google are both going down this path of attempting to um, either remarket or track a user going from mobile to desktop so that they can try to deliver um, information seamlessly across. And I think I think Facebook is doing this with Atlas and I think Google is attempting to do this. Do you ha- have you come across this in your research at all? And is this kind of part of what we're talking about, the ability to, to, to follow someone and contextually kind of know, like if they're sitting on the couch one moment doing one thing and then they're you know in their office on their laptop the next moment somehow that those activities are kind of shared by a single user? Yeah, they're, they're not going to get there. They're not going to get there perfectly. And I, I, and I will tell you why. They are, temp- they are all of these companies that are doing this. They're going to get closer they're going to come up with solutions that are better than what we have now. But ultimately, there's a serious gap in measurement between the online world and the offline world, right? So you, you have uh, graciously talked about the book that Tim Hayden and I have written. I thank you for that. If people listen to this podcast and they maybe do. they don't, <laughs> right? Uh, so this particular one, even though I, I may be podcast repellent, Michael, is my point. But, but I hope they do. Uh, but if, you know, but if people hear this and they think, "Oh, I, I, I would like to buy that book. I, 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 what is that book on mobile by Tom and Tim?" And they don't quite remember the title, and so they Google it. They Google mobile book uh, Webster Hayden, right? And they come across it, and then they go to Amazon and they buy it. If you are looking at clickstream data, you are going to think that search drove that transaction, mm. and maybe you will mistakenly allocate more money to search. But search was only a utility that helped to hook you up to something that you already knew you wanted to buy. A purely technology solution is never going to crack the mobile human because the mobile human should be the center of measurement. If you focus, your, if you focus all of your measurement activity on the consumer journey, and I don't mean the purchase funnel here, which is kind of artificial, but the actual physical journey of the human, you will find that you need to ask them things offline and you need to ask them things online and you'll be able to figure that out. But if, you know, Google is a technology company, so they're going to attempt to come up with a purely tech solution. There's not a purely tech solution to this. Gotcha. Well, that's a very good point because the bottom line is people that are listening right now are driving or on a tractor or on a horse or in a canoe. Who knows? I mean, I've heard all these things. Yeah. And they not, they may not even be online right now, but they're listening to this and they may decide to go back and purchase this book with or without their mobile device. And there's no easy way for anybody to know uh, unless they told us that that they first heard about it through this podcast, so that's a very legitimate point you brought up there. So, so, um, so what? I mean, what? Let, let's. Are there some good examples beyond Starbucks? Of, um, uh, I'm sure you've written about plenty of these in your book about yeah. businesses that are doing really innovative things that might inspire those that are listening to think about what they might be able to do. 
Well, you know, here's the thing that I think mobile will enable companies to do, and you don't have to be a large company for this to happen. You can be quite a small company, actually. Uh, think about ways that you can develop a direct relationship with the individual human. You know, and if you, if you think about uh, products that are sold in a grocery store, you know, if you were to develop a new cookie and you were to distribute that in a grocery store, who maintains that relationship? Well, right now it is the consumer and the grocery store. The grocery store has all of this data from your, you know, your VIP card or discount card right. where they know, you know, you bought this cookie and these diapers. You're a cookie diaper buyer. You're in that segment. <laughs> Uh, whatever, right? So, the, but the the people who make the cookies don't have that relationship. Uh, but one company that uh, I'll just uh, I'll mention this. There there are many, but a company I love that is uh, you know they're rolling out kind of slowly, but they are in Boston where I am, and they are in Austin where my co-author Tim Hayden lives. There's a company called Level Up. And what Level Up does, they provide a solution for local businesses for mobile payment. So if you use the Level Up app at companies that uh, allow you to pay for the Level Up app, you go to a local restaurant, you go to a local grocery store, yogurt stand, whatever, you call up the Level Up app and you pay with essentially a QR code. Right? Again, it's a QR code and a scanner. It's nothing right. super high tech at this point. Uh, but two things that happen here. Number one, Level Up batches those transactions monthly so that th they can lower transaction fees. Right. It's the, the transaction fees for credit cards are, are, are one of the, the pain points of a local business. So Level Up reduces those charges for the local business by batching those charges monthly. But number two, if I go into my, you know, my local frozen yogurt store and I pay with Level Up, they now know a whole bunch of stuff about me that they never knew if I just paid with a credit card. If I had just paid with a credit card, you know, Visa or MasterCard or Amex or Diners Club or whatever – owns that information. But now if I pay with Level Up, that company knows you were here twice last week. You ordered the mango salmon yogurt. That's disgusting. Uh, <laughs> but it's, it's definitely color coordinated. <laughs> it's color coordinated, right. So, so they can say, you know what? The next time that person comes in, we're going to say, uh, you know, wow, you've bought the mango salmon yogurt four times in the last two weeks. We're going to give you a free one. And you'll be back for that sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth, right? So they can develop that relationship, and it's a courtship. And if, you know, if they begin to show me that they value my custom, then they can you know, judiciously ask me for some more detail. They can ask me a little bit more. Can I have your email address? Yeah. Can I send you some stuff? Sure. Uh, but they base that on a value exchange. And all of a sudden, this local business has developed a one-to-one -one relationship with me that heretofore actually did not exist. Huh. So Level Up is almost like some sort of middle person, like an internet service provider, but it's it's more like a mobile application provider that allows um, loyalty and information programs with local vendors, and but also can handle the financial transaction. Is that kind of what I hear you saying? That is exactly right. They batch financial transactions, so they provide a uh, you know they provide a financial solution for local businesses that lets them save some money on you know a lets them save money on transaction fees, but also lets them market to me. You know I can get offers on Level Up, and those offers 
are from the local business. And so when I go in and I scan my, my level up code at a local business, and there are a bunch of them in Boston, I love that, you know, they know that I'm a frequent customer. They can see it immediately when they, you know, when I, when I scan my card, they know, okay, this is someone who comes in here a lot. And those things are happening all the time. There's another business, uh, another company based in Austin called Tabbed Out that does that with restaurants and allows you to, you know, A, pay in a restaurant, but also B, uh, allow people to, you know, run up a tab or co-contribute to a bill. And so that when you walk into a restaurant, that restaurant knows, you know, this person generally orders the tacos. So let's either surprise them with a taco or give them a taco offer or give them some loyalty reward for the number of tacos they've ordered. And it, okay, we could do that with punch cards or whatever, but we don't carry punch cards, frankly. I, I, I have a very slim wallet. I'm not going to carry a bunch of those. But now, you know, individual businesses have the ability to know this about us and it benefits me. It benefits me because I get discounts, I get rewards, I get offers, I get inside information about new products. And that's all tied to my phone because that is as uniquely tied to me as anything I own. Well, you know what's exciting about this, Tom, is I kind of envision a day where the second you walk in the door, they know exactly who you are and they know what your seating preferences are. The second you walk into a hotel, you just basically, um, your phone will tell you your room is ready for you, right? I mean, these are the kind of things we're headed towards, aren't we? It's already happening, Michael. The, you know, Hilton is already starting to, I'm a big Hilton guy. I'm, I'm unobtainium mithril level with Hilton. And they already have this capability built into their mobile app and it's rolling out uh, nationwide as they, you know, there's some tech here, so they're going to roll it out slowly, but they have a smart door function that basically lets you check into your room from the cab on your way there. And you'll never again have to go to a desk and wait only to be told your room is not ready. Wow. That's you can crazy. actually look at the app and say, okay, my room is not ready. I'll do something else or my room or, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to pick this room. I can pick this room. Uh, for my reservation and it's ready. I'm going to check in and very soon your phone will open that door. That's you crazy. You won't need a card and you won't need to go to, yeah, I mean, that, those things are happening now is the point. And that, what makes that a successful mobile application? It's not about the technology. People can say, oh, that's cool. My phone can open the door. That's not what's cool about it. What's cool is I don't have to wait in a line uh, and I, I don't have to wait in a line only to find out my room is not ready. That's, so that's cool. removing a pain point. Oh yeah, and it's kind of like it's kind of like Uber. I mean, you know, Uber, you push a button and up, up pops a car, right? I mean, in front of you within three minutes. I mean, these kinds of things, especially when they start interconnecting. I mean, this is where it gets exciting, right, Tom? I mean, when you start when you start having all these interesting apps and somehow they're able to intercommunicate with each other, that's when real magic, I would imagine, could start happening, right? Because you could, I could see. I could see things triggering things like you come into the hotel and you know that you like to have a reservation for breakfast and it's automatically done. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, you know, the thing about Uber is, okay, Uber has obviously been quite successful in, in various markets and, uh, you know, a lot of, I'm sure a lot of people listening to this have used Uber. Think about the actual behavior that Uber enables. Five years ago, if you were downtown in New York or Los Angeles or somewhere. Think about, all right, I just got out of a restaurant and I, I need to go back to my hotel. What would you do? You would call a cab, right? The behavior that Uber has changed in us, and that's the incredible thing about mobile. It's like, no, I'm going to get a limo. 
No, I'm going to get a black car. No, you, you didn't do that five years ago, right? You, you, you could either wait at a cab stand or you're going to call a limousine company. But you know, the nutty thing about Uber is that so many of us now are whipping out our phone and we are getting a, you know, a, a black Lincoln Town car or uh, you know, an, an Escalade or something like that. We never did that. It allows, it allows us to get impulsive, doesn't it? And it splurge, if yeah, you will. Exactly. Humans did not do that. The, you know, the, the, the number of uh, Lincoln Town cars and Cadillac Escalades that we are ordering is uh, vastly more, I would say, because of Uber. And it's purely because they removed some friction. Now, a lot of people listening right now might say, this is really cool. I can get it from the consumer side, but do I have to be like a crazy, massively big company to be able to employ this kind of stuff? Is this, is this out of bounds for, you know, for most businesses? What's your thoughts on this? No, absolutely not. So the, the technology aspects may or may not be, right? I mean, if, if you need to come up with some kind of soup to nuts mobile app and hire a developer, whatever. Uh, but I think the big thing to think about is what you can do to relieve the pain of the mobile human. And I'm going to give you an example here. It's an example from a, a very big company, but it is actually a very, very cheap thing to roll out. It's a, it's a, you know, it's a trifle. So one of the examples in our book, it's a B2B example, is from Dell. And you might think, well, I can't do what Dell does. Well, here's what Dell does. In Dell's uh, you know, B2B server applications, they sell these servers that get uh, shunted down to the, the deep, dank dungeons of your company, right? The, the, some ca- super-cooled cage where all of these servers are kept uh, that only Gollum goes into. <laughs> right? and, uh, but on the back of those servers is a QR code. On the back of all of those you know, giant B2B uh, servers in these cages in the bowels of your company is a QR code. And that QR code leads to uh, the product manual and instructions and parts and all that for that particular service, uh, for that server. And, and the thing is, is that they do that because they understand the human. The human who goes down there is away from their desk. They're not in front of their laptop. Not, they don't have all their manuals. They're down there to fix a server, but they have their phone in their pocket. They understand the human. The human can scan that QR code and instantly call up everything they need to know about that particular server. So that is, that is an example of something that, yeah, it's a big company example, but who couldn't do that? Are there, are there web-based apps out there that will just generate a QR code and, and you know, um, basically say, okay, it goes to this particular URL and then you could just create like a page with information on it? Is that how simple it is? Oh, absolutely. I, I, I recently saw a vending machine in Germany that had a bunch of uh, health and beauty and pharmaceutical products. There was no name or description on any of those products. It was a big vending machine. You've probably seen similar ones in the States from Best Buy and, and, and others. And sure, airports. you see them at airports. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, see, see them at airports. So this one had uh, some uh, over-the-counter pharmaceutical products and health and beauty aids. And it, you know, underneath each product was the name of the product and a QR code. Uh, and you could scan the QR code to find out information about the product. But here's the genius thing. When you do scan that, that QR code could be tied to that unique location. It could be tied to that unique machine. So the company is starting to get information about how well trafficked is this machine, how many people are browsing this machine, maybe buying something later or not. Ah. You know, That's data that, that we never had before. That means every offline moment can still be a mobile moment. 
you also talk about a concept that you refer to as mobile listening in your book. Is this related yeah. to what you were just talking about or is there something more to it? Yeah, no, that's the start of it, Michael. I think, you know, we're listening in for mobile, I think is really still in its infancy. And I think the technology, and there are some companies out there that are starting to pioneer this, but the technology for mobile listening is a little bit different than it is for social media listening and things like that, right? If I post on social media, uh, the food at this restaurant is terrible. Then yeah, you can you can go through one of the major platforms and you can sort that out and assign it a sentiment. Uh, but if I post a picture of a meal and say, "Oh my God, this food is great," what social you know what the next vanguard of social listening is going to do is going to enable two things. Number one, natural language processing. It's super important. It's the ability to understand if I say that I'm here somehow that I'm going to be tagged differently than if I'm just talking about a company in general, right? Yeah. If, I'm, if I'm actually eating in that restaurant and I post something, I, I want to know that if I'm a company. I don't want to know that this person just posted something because they like or don't like our brand. I want to know if they're downstairs having a problem. Hmm. And the second thing is image processing and actually being able to understand, you know, tagging from an image. And, and this tech is, uh, is, is starting to mature that, okay, that's actually my product in the image. Uh, and that, you know, those things are happening now. Those things are happening now and being able to tell the, you know, almost the, the sentiment of an image. Is this, is this being framed in a positive light? Has this customer actually been in my store or in my restaurant? Uh, that's the next generation of listening. And it goes way beyond text, you know, kind of text mining and gets into being able to tell, you know, is this image a sandwich <laughs> or, uh, you know, is this person actually in my store right now? Well, it's intriguing because um, on my Mac, you know, when I take pictures with my iPhone and import them into iPhoto, sometimes it seems to just know where I took the picture. And I'm just wondering whether that data is in photographs and whether or not that data is going to be somehow maybe interestingly used um, down the road to figure out information. Are you, have you heard of something like that before? Yeah. I mean, there, there are a bunch of startups right now that are uh, looking at all that information and trying to parse that and geofence that. And, you know, here's the crazy thing about mobile. If you've ever seen the movie Minority Report, Minority right. Report came out a number of years ago. And I, I forget how old that movie is, but, uh, you know, it's at least eight years old, I think. Um, you know, there's a, there's a scene where Tom Cruise is walking into a mall and his retinas are being scanned. And the ads that he's being served on the interactive kiosks and the products he's being offered are uniquely tailored to him. And, you know, the vision of that is that it's a science fiction vision. Well, the truth is all of that is capable now. All of that is possible right now. We really do live in a Jetson era. Jetsons. We're almost, we're past Jetsons now, aren't we? (laughs) We are. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's, it's, it's not, uh, no flying cars though. (laughs) It's not evenly distributed as William Gibson said, and and we don't have jetpacks. Uh, but there is the technology with NFC and RFID and beacon technology and being tied uniquely to a phone ID for me to walk into a store now or walk into a restaurant and be treated ultimately like Norm from Cheers. And that's really one of the central points of our book is that when we walk into a restaurant or a bar, we want people to know our name. We want them to know what our favorite drink is. We want it to be offered to us and we want to put it on our tab. Right. That's a that's that's a behavior that's been around for a hundred years. And finally we are at a point with a mobile device where we can get back to that. Well, 
This is really cool. Um, Tom, first of all, thank you so much for sharing your insight on this. Where can people find your new book, The Mobile Commerce Revolution, and where can they find out more about you, Tom Webster? Well, you can search for the Mobile Commerce Revolution, uh, and that's Tom, by Tom Webster and Tim Hayden. I want to give my my co-author props here uh, on Amazon or Barnes and Noble or anywhere, and, and in physical bookstores you can find it. It's published by Pearson Q, uh, and you can find me either on Twitter at Webby two thousand one, which was cool about twenty years ago, <laughs> or uh, my blog brandsavant.com or my company edisonresearch.com. Tom Webster, on behalf of many, many people, thank you so much for sharing your insight with us today. Thank you for having me. Really an honor, Michael. Thank you. Well, I hope you are inspired to think more about how the mobile revolution is going to impact your marketing and your business. If you missed anything that we talked about on today's show, like the awesome tool that we mentioned earlier, we take all the notes for you. And you can find those notes at socialmediaexaminer.com slash 119, which stands for episode 119. Also, please do, if you've not already done so, consider visiting socialmediaexaminer.com slash love. That'll populate a tweet into your Twitter stream saying that you recommend this show and it'll help us get the word out. Also, if you're thinking about coming to Social Media Marketing World, be sure to grab your ticket now because we have significant discounts going on socialmediaworld15.com. Again, socialmediaworld15.com. That brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you in the driver's seat next week. I hope you make the absolute best out of your day and may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner.